This is the Capness HR Podcast, and we want you to be great every day. Join us as we transform the human resources outsourcing industry while we talk to small business owners, founders, and people in tech, startup, and HR spaces. Now, please welcome your host, Jason Kavnis. Hello, and welcome to the Kavnis HR Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Kavnis. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash HR. They have over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, MP3 player. Our guest today is Darren Austin. Darren, are you really great today? I am indeed. Darren is a consumer product executive who has helped pioneer many of the innovations in technology that we take for granted today, including e-commerce, mobile apps, social messaging, location-based products, and cloud services. Between 1999 and 2010, Darren helped start Amazon's first mobile product initiative in 1999, co-founded two small tech companies, introduced the first instant messaging app for the iPhone in 2008 as a product lead for mobile AIM and ICQ at AOL, helped start the mobile product team at Expedia in 2010. More recently, Darren served as a VP of products for Seattle-based startup Glimpse, and in 2015 was recruited by Microsoft to help accelerate the cultural change of the company as a product lead for OneNote. Darren is married to Marty, his wife of 17 years, and their parents to two Boston Terrier Rescue Dogs, Maggie and Sophie. Darren is active in the Seattle startup community and recently began co-producing a podcast called The Better Show with two of his close friends. Darren, once again, thank you for being here. Hey, thank you for having me on the podcast. This is great. Well, Dan, what's keeping you busy now? What's your, what's your main focus right now? Yeah, so I got to say, I'm, I've been doing pretty well. Uh, it's a beautiful week here in Seattle. Yesterday was absolutely gorgeous. What's been keeping me busy this week is golf. I, go, I played golf twice this week, and, it, it was, and I went on a quick bike ride this morning. It's just a beautiful time, and so I'm just looking forward to spring and summer. Literally, as we're recording this, I'm watching, uh, we have a humming, I have a hummingbird feeder right outside my, my window here. I'm watching three hummingbirds sort of take turns diving into and feeding at this hummingbird feeder. It's pretty cool. So I love this time of year. That's the thing I guess I'm most excited about is, is spring and summer. The things that I'm working on, the things keeping my mind occupied lately, you mentioned the Better Show podcast. So I co-host that with Ian Michatel and March Rogers. That's something we started a little less than a year ago, and it's been a blast. We're learning as we go. So none of us have ever, you know, we don't, uh, Ian actually has some history doing a podcast, but we're sort of figuring this out because when he did one, it was maybe 10 or 15 years ago when podcasts were first coming out. So we're learning as we go. And I love the process of learning. The other thing I'm doing is I'm helping a good friend of mine own his investor pitch for a company that he's recently started. And I, I learned recently that I absolutely love being that. I love working with founders. I love working with startup product teams. There's just an energy and an electricity to the opportunity that these companies pursue and the vision that these founders have. It just really excites me. So that's, those are two things that are sort of occupying my mind. Of course, I, I have my day job at Microsoft where I, I focus on higher education and I'm, I'm sort of developing a new product strategy for higher education uh, for Microsoft, something that's a little bit off of the traditional beaten path. So I'm pretty excited about that. But yeah, that's, that's my life. Darren, of all the great products you've worked on in the past, 
which one excited you, excited you the most while working on it and why? Yeah, so there's probably two answers to that question. I, the, the time I had in my career where I just really had some of the most fun and I was really the most excited was when I was at AOL. And you mentioned my time at AOL where I was product lead for Mobile Aim. So if, if those listening to the podcast might remember, AOL Instant Messenger and ICQ are like the two first instant messaging applications, the running man who actually they just recently shut AIM down, uh, which, was, which was a sad thing. I was a big fan of the running man. Yeah, I think that was one of the products I was most excited about because we were transitioning the business from the old world pre-iPhone into this new world. We were building AIM for iPhone. And AIM for iPhone was a completely different animal. It was much of a richer experience. It was direct to consumer. We weren't uh, supporting it through carrier fees. We were doing a new business model. And we knew we were sort of on the cusp of something really exciting. We were fortunate enough to have the to have Apple bring us into the fold very early in the process of the iPhone release. So we were granted early access to some of the iPhone developer uh, assets. So that was a lot of fun. The other thing was a company I worked for before Microsoft, Glimpse. Glimpse was pretty exciting as well. I just really loved working with the team at Glimpse. I, I just sincerely enjoyed that. And it was a, a location-based service. So for those that may not know, Glimpse is a location-based service. It's a, a way that you can share your location with somebody in real time so they can literally see you moving on a map, but then it, it has a time to live. So it expires, kind of like Snapchat for, for maps. And we were building this a long time before Snapchat. And the whole concept was people should be in control of really sensitive private data. And so we started out with this idea of location and hey, there's, there's instances maybe when I'm driving or when I'm in a crowd or something where I want someone to know where I am right then. But I don't necessarily want that person to know where I am like an hour from now or two hours from now. And so that we had this concept of sharing your location and setting a time limit on it. So I could say, if, Jason, if you and I were going to meet at a coffee shop, I would say, hey, Jason, I'm on my way, stuck in a little traffic. Here you can watch me on, on, en route to the coffee shop. That way, I don't have to text and drive. You could see me en route to the coffee shop, but then I could set that to expire when I arrive at the coffee shop. So you no longer see where I am afterwards. So that was a really exciting product, and, and it brought some new concepts around user control of their data and privacy that I think have recently become really relevant. So I, I love the team at Glimpse. I'm still a huge fan, even though I don't work there. They're doing great. But yeah, I, uh, that, was, that, was the other, that was the other product that I really enjoyed working on. Darren, can you talk about the process that you use when you're building that product? Yeah. So I am a big fan of Eric Reese's Lean Startup process. So he describes in that book, for those that have not read that book, I highly recommend it. He describes a method where you start out with, well, I'll take a step back. The traditional way people build products is they invest a lot of time and energy in research and they think they have the exact right plan for what they think their customers want. And they, they spend months, sometimes you know quarters or even a year, building a product and release it. And then they find out that what they thought they knew was not probably exactly correct. And so then his, so Eric's perspective in this, in Lean Startup is, you know, rather than spend all that effort and in investment to just learn at the end of a year that you were wrong about something, what if you could accelerate the learning cycle? What if you could build a smaller product 
that was very narrowly focused on a specific problem and release it to the world, the hypothesis using sort of the scientific method and saying, okay, this is what, this is who my customer is. This is the problem I think they have, and this is how I'm going to solve it for them. And release that as fast as you possibly can. And the goal is really just speed of learning. How fast can I learn about what my customers want and how I can make them happy? And I love that method because it, it optimizes for speed of learning. I would probably modify some of the things that he has in there because people, people tend to use the lean startup method as an excuse to just throw things over the fence like, oh yeah, let's just build it really quick and get it out there, which isn't completely wrong, but you want to build a quality experience, but you just want to build a quality experience that's very narrowly focused for your user need. And so it's not about putting out unpolished products, but it's about putting out products that have a narrow set of use cases and then expanding on them over time. So I, I like that project, uh, that process and I would recommend it to anybody. Yes, I have an intern helping me out this summer named Kate Moley. He wants to open up a bakery. So yes, he was actually talking about the, the, the MVP process. You know, instead of open, doing all big goods, just maybe just do, you know, chocolate cupcakes or vanilla cupcakes, you know. So, so it can be applied to any Definitely. kind of business. A lot of people yeah. have any kind of business and use this. I think so. You know, I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna start a bakery, think about the capital expense involved in getting a bakery going. You got to get a commercial kitchen. If you want a retail space, maybe you're renting a place, a storefront. You don't know what the traffic is like at the storefront. You're probably better off build, you know, renting commercial space, commercial kitchen space, making your baked goods, and selling those to individual bakeries as a reseller or restaurants, and seeing what products have the most traction. Right. Then once you figure out what has the most traction and where, you know, where your pastries, where your baked goods are going to sell the most, then you could start narrowing in on a location and whether you want to invest in a full commercial kitchen. So, yeah, I totally agree. You can apply this the same sort of thing to uh, any business. And that's great advice to make sure I pass it on to Kate. So really appreciate that. Yeah, sure. So, Darren, how is working at Microsoft and other large corporations happy to become a better, a better startup advisor? Yeah, it's interesting because I... My career has sort of had, you know, I sort of alternate between startup companies and larger companies. And, and I have to say, like, I do love my job at Microsoft. I, I'm really bullish on the company. I love the turnaround that they're undergoing. But my heart is always with the smaller teams. I just really get a lot of energy out of working with small teams and, and young companies and new ideas. It's just where I derive my energy. The perspective from having been at larger companies has actually been pretty helpful with the way I help advise either a startup company that I'm currently with or friends or colleagues that are starting their own companies. And it's basically given me a different perspective. You know, when you're starting something from scratch, you're struggling with a different set of problems than when you scale up and get really large. And it's having a perspective on the types of things that will change once you begin to gain traction and once you begin to scale that I think has been helpful for me. The other thing too is, if you're a small company, a lot of times you want to forge a partnership with larger companies. And the best way to get a fruitful partnership, in my opinion, is to have a sense of empathy for the partner that you want to work with. You know, see things from their perspective, understand what their needs are, understand what their business drivers and their goals are. And so having spent some time inside larger companies like Microsoft, I can actually get that perspective. And so when I have a, a company that comes to me and says, hey, I would really love to forge a partnership with Microsoft, I could pretty quickly tell them like, okay, well, here are the things that matter to Microsoft or here's a, here are the things that matter to a company the size of Microsoft. 
if you can provide these sorts of things, then they're going to be interested in doing a deal with you. Conversely, your interest ought to be, you know, these are the things Microsoft can provide for you. If those are the things that you need at your stage of the business, then this is probably a, gr- a great fit. If those are not the things you need, if you need something else, then it, you might be wasting your time. So I think having that diversity of perspective has helped me develop a bit of empathy for, for being in both situations. Darren, when a founder comes to you and asks you to be the startup, startup advisor, what do you look for in order to say yes? And what do you look for in order to say no? Yeah, that's a great question. Interesting backstory is about a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago, I got a cold call or a cold email for, uh, through LinkedIn from a young startup founder who said he was in sort of the real estate business. And he had seen some of the work I had done at a previous company I started, co-founded uh, called SeattleRentals.com and said, hey, I'd love to pick your brain about you know what I'm doing. And I kind of looked at what he had and saw his background. He looked like a he looked like he was a go getter. Anyway, I, I'm happy to give him some time, and we chatted on the phone. This this guy completely impressed me. He was energetic. He was passionate and committed about what he was doing. He had done his research, and he had done and he he literally put his heart and soul into this new product that he was this new business really that he was building. Now, he didn't have all the perspective of somebody that had been 20 years in an industry and made all the mistakes, but that's why he was calling me because I've made more mistakes than I can count. And he was so open to listening and learning and he was engaging in, in the conversation, you know, sort of asking clarifying questions and probing for more insight and riffing with me on certain ideas about where, what he could do, how he could take some of the the ideas and the thoughts that I had and incorporate them into his business. And so I think that was one of the best exchanges I've had with a founder. And I think what it boils down to is it boils down to, to energy and commitment and preparation, but then also this, this sort of open-mindedness and humility that comes with the type of person that wants to learn more. That it, takes, you know, it takes a certain type of person to say to themselves, like, I don't know everything. And that's, that's okay because I bring a certain set of values and, and experiences to the table, but I can be better by incorporating knowledge from other people and I want to help and leverage other people. And that really, really is a, it's, it's a turn on. I just, I love working with people like that. And I think probably the opposite would be true if, uh, if somebody came to me and said, hey, I want you to work as a startup at, uh, you know, just, I need you kind of on paper, but I don't really, I'm not particularly interested in what you're, you know, have to say. Not that anybody would do that, but you could sort of get the vibe of how people engage with you, you know, or if they kind of are really, really stuck in a certain mindset and they're not willing to see things from a different perspective, doesn't mean that they have to agree with me. In fact, I, I prefer when people disagree with me because it causes me to sort of question my own set of assumptions. But someone that is incapable of sort of looking and at a different perspective, I think is, is the type of thing where I would say, this might not be a good fit. And, or if I frankly just don't believe in the business or if it runs counter to values or something like that, I probably say no to that as well. Can you talk about time you were successful in the past, what you learned from your success and what we can learn from this? Yeah, I had, there was an instance when, so I, t- I took a job at Expedia in 2010 and I, I took a job to help start their mobile division and, or their mobile product team, I should say. And they had just sort of dabbled a little bit in mobile. And 
one of the things that we did was basically we were we were doing the basics. So I came in and we built a mobile website. We started building mobile applications. And this is 2010. So this is pretty late, I thought, in terms of an e-commerce company to adopt mobile. But the thinking at the time at Expedia prior to my joining was, yeah, you know, mobile seems big and it is growing, but are people really going to spend hundreds of dollars, you know, on their phone booking a hotel or a flight? Like, it doesn't seem like that's likely to happen. But then they sort of came around to the idea that, hey, this actually is something people are going to do. And I'm, you know, I sort of was evangelizing this idea of mobile is an existential threat to your business if you are not engaging in it in a big way. Because, you know, these little phones, these are cash registers in everybody's pocket. And if you're an e-commerce company, you've got to be able to have a wonderful experience on these, these devices and a differentiating experience on these devices. So anyway, the success I had was we grew revenue through the mobile channel at Expedia from just a few million dollars when I joined to over $100 million a year run rate. And we did that in just under 18 months. This was astronomical growth. The funny thing about it was there wasn't any magic involved. It wasn't like I came in with some great big insight. It was grinding it out. It was basically developing a good, positive, engaging mobile experience. It, was, it boiled down to the basics of what makes a good product. Usability, performance, reliability. And throw trust in there as well, but trust you get from the brand that you're dealing with. Expedia was a trusted brand. But like just getting the basics right really enabled us to just astro, you know, experience astronomical growth in mobile. What I learned from it was a rising tide floats all boats. So it's really, another way to say that was, it's really good to be in a growing market. Like I didn't have to come up with some magic to grow revenue that high. What I had to do was do a basic good job at a product that is already in a growing segment. So if I had said, you know, if I had been in, well, a different example would be when I was at amazon.com and we started the mobile division there 11 years earlier which was way early for mobile commerce. You know, it took us a year to get to $1 million in revenue from 99 to 2000 at amazon.com. But that was huge at the time. We thought we were amazing. You know, fast forward 10 years and it's literally 100x. And so I guess what I learned is like being in a growing market is super powerful. And when you're in that scenario, the most important thing you can do is get the basics nailed once you get the basics nailed, then you sort of earn the right to do more innovative, interesting stuff. Darren, follow-up question. Talk about a time that you failed in the past, what you learned from this, and what we can learn from this failure you had in the past. Yeah, this is, a, this is an interesting one. So I took a job earlier in my career where I was primarily motivated by the money that I was offered for the job. And I didn't spend a lot of time researching the culture of the company. Because I didn't think about that. At the time, I was sort of in that, I was younger in my career. I was thinking about what's the next step on the ladder? How can I make a more, how can I make more money? How can I add another sort of, you know, notch in my belt in terms of achieving more things and learning more things? And so I was really fixated on the career progression and the money. And I didn't spend any time really researching the culture. So what I found out was it was a terrible fit for me at that company. It was just a cultural mismatch. I'm much more, of, much more of a team player. I'm very collaborative. And this environment was not quite like that. And what I learned from that was 
CEOs set company culture. As much as HR departments and other you know, team building events and stuff like that contribute to company culture, the CEO really does set company culture in sort of a way that it's this ripple effect throughout the company. And what I learned is the personality and the values of a CEO are pervasive throughout a company. So pay attention to the leaders and they're going to give you a sense for what it's like to work at a company. And I also learned a lot about myself and I learned about what values are important to me. And it changed the way I made decisions about where I spent my time and where I wanted to work in the future. Um, It was a hard lesson to learn, but it was a really valuable lesson. I wouldn't give away that experience for anything because I, I came out of it a lot better. Yeah, no, it always amazes me how many, many people say that culture belongs to HR. Like, no, it belongs to CEO. HR is to help, you know, help them you know, lead the culture change and be an advocate, but that's the CEO. And you probably know this better than anybody, right? I mean, this is the world you live in. Yes. It's funny. I, 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 it's, you, know, you, see, you see the transition that Uber is in the middle of going through, <laughs> which you know, when they had their founding CEO, Travis Kalnick, probably mispronounced his last name there, he embodied the culture that was pervasive throughout Uber. Now they've got Dara Khosrowshahi, who was the CEO at Expedia. And I had some, a beneficial or had an opportunity to have some engagement with. He's phenomenal. He's exactly what they need. And I was very bearish on Uber for the long time until I heard that they brought Dara on as CEO. And I said, if that company has a chance of turning things around, that's the best decision they could have made. I think it's I think it's a really good choice. And I'm, I'm curious to see where he takes it. I've already noticed on YouTube that they're running video campaigns around a different culture that they're, they're working on. It's a listening culture, a listening culture to their drivers, to their customers, which I think is, is exactly the mindset that you got to have. Yeah. People don't, sometimes also people realize how important your employer brand is also, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Darren, next, tell us about someone who's helped you in the past and how they helped you. Yeah, that's a good question too. I would say I had a colleague of mine. I had a colleague of mine that was actually a really good mentor. Uh, she and I were peers and she gave me such great, she gave me very candid feedback. She was able to share with me feedback and observations and act as a sounding board for me in, in a way that I think was probably difficult for a lot of other people to do. So for example, there's a concept called radical candor that I don't know, Jason, if you, have you ever come across this concept, radical candor? No, actually I have it. It's the first time I'm hearing it. It's a concept where you basically share very transparently and very honestly with, with the person you're, 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 that's asking for feedback or advice. And you say, and it's basically, it's a little bit of tough love. It's a little bit of tough love in terms of like, okay, you're seeing it from this direction. Here's how I'm seeing it. Anyway, I had a colleague that was like that and provided me with some great feedback. Uh, she later became my boss and I was, I was thrilled. I made a decision to work for her because of the, the great feedback and the great sort of mentorship and guidance that she gave me. So that, that's probably been probably the most valuable interaction that I've had. And I, I continue to value that relationship today. Darren, can you tell us something about yourself that most people don't know? You know, of course, your close family, close friends know this, but most people who see you day to day don't know this about Darren Austin. I'd say I have a lot in common with a lot of other people in, in, in this particular aspect, but people wouldn't guess it. There's a, there's a thing called imposter syndrome, which you may have, have heard about or read about, or some of your listeners may have, which is this idea of like, 
this level of insecurity that you sort of go through when you reach a certain point in your career and you start thinking, wow, I've had some success here, but like, man, I've really been lucky. One of these days, these people are going to figure out that I'm faking it this whole way. I'm not, I'm really not this good. I struggle with that continuously. I really, really do. I'd like to think that that comes from a sense of humility about the type of things that uh, I've been able to do. So maybe it comes from a good place, but it's the type of thing that I'm, I'm actually working on. You know, I'm working on my own level of self-confidence and it's been alternatingly scary, frustrating, and like inspirational (laughs) Um, to sort of like reflect on that a little bit. And so that's something that, uh, that's something about me. Not a lot of people know. I think for whatever reason, I, I managed to fake it pretty well. Thanks for sharing that, Darren. I mean, a lot of people have that imposter syndrome, unfortunately. It's a tough thing, man. I got to say, I, I, uh, I, I, took up, I took up a meditation practice maybe a couple years ago, and it's been helpful to sort of focus on that a little bit because it sort of helped me a little bit to get outside of my own head and say, wait a second, like, you don't, don't pay attention to that little voice in your head. Pay attention to these other voices, right? Like, and it's been helpful. Darren, I understand you have a book to recommend for our listeners. Yeah, so it's a book that I'm reading right now. I'm not completely done with it, so I, I don't know how it ends, but I so far, so good. It's called uh, Homo Deus. It's a brief history of tomorrow, and it's by an author named Yuval Noah Harari. I believe is how you say his, his last name. It's basically, this is a, a sequel to his original book, which I think was called Sapiens. And Sapiens was about the history of the of Homo sapiens, the history of the species, and sort of how it evolved over time from single, single cellular organisms all the way to where we are today. Homo Deus takes up the story from where we are today and where we're going to go into the future. And it explores a lot of the... And by, by the way, I've not read Sapiens. That's next on my list. I'm sort of doing these out of order. But Homo Deus is really about what happens when humans advance their own the technology that we use because we're we're a species of tool makers that's what we are we make tools we make tools to make our lives easier and more productive and more efficient right everything from you know the discovering fire to inventing bicycles for uh, more efficient modes of transportation all the way now to genetic sequencing and things like that and as a as a species of tool makers when our tools become so good that we can actually alter the direction of our evolution, it becomes fascinating. It becomes fascinating to think about what happens when we eradicate disease because we've already started doing that with smallpox years ago, right? What happens when we're able to, you know, extend life, not infinitely, although maybe that happens, but what happens when we can extend life 50 years, we've already actually done that as a species, right? We're, we're living to our nineties or longer when not that long ago, the average life expectancy was, you know, 40s, 50s, that type of thing. So what happens when we extend it another 50 years or even longer? What are the changing roles of society and the family unit and things like that? It's just a fascinating investigation of what happens as we get more and more advanced. So I recommend it. I'm enjoying it right now. I'm not quite done with it, but uh, it's, it's been great so far. Darren, I understand you have something to offer our listeners. Yeah, so we mentioned a little bit about the uh, Better Show, and I mentioned that you know Ian and, and March and myself have started this thing a year ago. So for those that don't know, the Better Show is it's a sh- it's a show that explores ways to improve at all different aspects of life. 
So in the show, we delve into specific, uh, to a specific topic each week. And our topics range from all different aspects of life. So we cover topics like sleep or stress management or how, how to be better at giving gifts to one that we just did the, uh, the other day was how to be better grocery shopper, right? It's just sort of every aspect of life. And we did an episode, one of our most popular shows was we dug into productivity tips. How do you manage your time better? How do you be more productive? And we covered, we covered a physical planner tool that I have here. I don't know if the folks can see it on the camera. We covered this physical tool called the Productivity Planner. It's by a company called Intelligent Change. And this is a method for managing your time and planning your week. And I adopted this thing. And I have to say, Jason, this transformed the way I manage my time and the way I plan my week. It is, I cannot live without the, without the productivity planner today. And so I'm a huge fan of it. Our listeners were big fans of it. And I actually have a couple of extra copies of the productivity planner. And I wanted to offer one of them to, to the podcast listeners here. If you, uh, if you send a tweet to our, our podcast, The Better Show, uh, and we are at The Better Show, and that's uh, on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, but tweet us at at The Better Show and let us know a topic or something that you'd like to get better on and something you'd be interested in hearing us talk about. We'll pick one of those those submissions at random and I'll contact you, reach out to you, and somebody's going to get a productivity planner uh, with my heartfelt recommendation on how this really does help you manage your week. Uh, I love it. Thank you, Darren. That's very valuable. Can you provide your social media links for yourself so people can reach out to you? Yeah, yeah, sure. So I just mentioned The Better Show. So at The Better Show on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Personally, uh, my Twitter is Darren G. Austin, D-A-R-R-E-N-G-A-U-S-T-I-N. The best way to reach me professionally really is LinkedIn. So you could just search for me on LinkedIn. It's Darren, D-A-R-R-E-N, and Austin like Texas. I always tell people it's Darren like Bewitched and Austin like Texas. But then I'm starting to get to engage with a, a generation of people that have no idea what Bewitched is. So I sort of like dating myself when I, when I, when I make that intro. But uh, yeah, those are, those are my contact information. If you want more information about our podcast, The Better Show, our address is bettershow.io. But you can also find us on iTunes and Stitcher and all the other places. Thank you, Darren. Coming to the end of our talk, can you provide our listeners any last minute wisdom or advice on any subject you'd like to talk about? You know, I think one, the last thing that I could think to, to share is, and this is a popular topic now, so I'm not breaking any new ground, but the importance of this growth mindset that you hear a lot of people talking about, the importance of curiosity and maintaining a willingness to learn and discover, I think that's the most important trait that we can have today. And when you think about the way our, the way our society is changing, the way our business environment is changing, the way our technology is advancing. We're all on the cusp of learning something brand new almost every single day and something revolutionary, right? It's, I spend a lot of time reading. I spend a lot of time reading, actually. Uh, I like quantum physics. It's sort of a weird little hobby of mine. So I love reading about quantum physics and astrophysics. And I also love reading about sort of, what do you call it? Brain science and neuroscience. And so there's this interesting intersection of these things where they're literally discovering like quantum physical connections with human consciousness. And it's a fascinating field. And so the point of it is, is like when you get down to the, when you start looking at, at the types of things that we're learning, having that level of curiosity and continuously being hungry to improve and to learn and to discover more, I think it's just the best 
characteristic that we can foster in ourselves and our children for that matter. Thank you, Darren. Darren, thank you for your time today. I know you're a busy person, doing a lot of great things. So we really appreciate you taking the time to do this with us today. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It's good to see you again. Yes. And for listeners, thank you for your time as well. And remember to be great every day. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Kavnis HR. For more exclusive content, as well as your free copy of HR Laws, be sure to visit KavnisHR.com or connect with us on Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, and Facebook at Kavnis HR. Thanks again, and be great every day. Thank you.